0: Good morning. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. The past 15 months have been destabilizing, discombobulating, and at many times and in many ways, downright discouraging to our church family. For nearly three months, for the first time in 29 years, think about how important that is. For nearly three months, we didn't meet in person at all on Sunday mornings. And then for the past 12 months, we have met in person each week, outside of a brief blip on the radar between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but it just hasn't been the same, has it? We haven't seen each other's faces as much, heard each other's voices as clearly, or felt as many handshakes and hugs. We've had fewer conversations together, shared fewer meals together, and made fewer memories together. We've sung less songs, prayed less prayers, and spent less time in small groups and Bible studies. The past 15 months have been a significant disruption to our church family's life together, and that is putting it lightly. So as we begin a new season... Not just in terms of the calendar or the weather, but in terms of our church's history. As we start to leave an era dominated by COVID behind us, and as we slowly but surely get back to normal, now is as good a time as ever to go back to some basics we may have forgotten. This is an opportunity for us to shake off the cobwebs, knock off the rust, and exercise some muscles we may not have used in quite some time. So we'll spend the next four weeks answering some basic questions about our identity and our purpose as individual believers in Jesus and as a collective body of believers in Jesus. Who are we and what do we do? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We have chair Bibles and the chairs in front of you. Feel free to use one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, take it home. Follow along as well if you're live streaming at your home. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for communion this Built-in reminder every week of your grace, which our passage this morning in Ephesians is going to continue hammering home. Thank you for your kindness to us, your mercy, your forgiveness that all revolves around Jesus Christ. And thank you for the opportunity to be here together as brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping you right now. We love you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Who am I? That's a question we've all asked ourselves at some point. And you can attempt to answer that question from many different angles. Our family history, our nationality, our cultural background, socioeconomics, experiences, career, sex, personalities, hobbies and interests, education, and political leanings can all play a factor in how we answer that question. Who am I? Many spend their entire lives trying to answer that question, often to no avail. We may feel the need to invent and reinvent ourselves over and over again, chasing that ever-elusive feeling of fulfillment, peace, and comfort in our own skin. Who am I? But allow me to propose that in a very real sense, Christians don't need to spend all that time searching for and wrestling with and wondering about who we are. In some eternally significant ways, the Bible already answers that question for us. Who am I? Let's read Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. Like the rest of mankind. So, before Paul reminds the Christians in Ephesus of who they are, he reminds them of who they were. First things first, you were dead. Dead? Why? Because of your trespasses and sins. That's why you were dead. In the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, which is just the first few chapters of this massive book, God warned Adam and Eve that if they disobeyed his commands, they would surely die. Nevertheless, Adam and Eve ate from the one forbidden tree in the garden, though there were countless other fruitful trees all around. But here's the thing. After they ate... Adam and Eve didn't appear to die. They still looked and felt very much alive. Their hearts didn't stop beating. Their lungs didn't stop pumping. Their brains didn't stop working. So much for God's threat, right? Well, it's true that Adam and Eve didn't physically die immediately after they ate. Though they eventually would. But spiritually, at the moment that fruit touched their lips, Adam and Eve were dead in their trespasses and sins. They lost their sense of innocence. They felt the first pangs of shame. They fell out of harmony with each other, out of harmony with the world, and out of harmony with God himself. John Stott writes, a life without God, however physically fit and mentally alert that person may be, a life without God is a living death. That's what Adam and Eve experienced when they were banished from God's presence. And according to the Apostle Paul, every man and woman who followed after Adam and Eve are in the same boat. That includes us. We walk in the ways of a fallen world. We fall to the same serpent who tempted Adam and Eve. The devil himself, who Paul calls the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2. We cater to our sinful flesh, our sinful passions, our sinful desires, and our sinful impulses, rather than following the righteous rules God gave us for our good and his glory. We may look alive, and physically we are. But spiritually, in our trespasses and sins, we were dead. We were children of God's wrath. Now that doesn't exactly sound like good news, does it? That's because it's not. But before you get too discouraged, remember, Christian, that's who you were. Past tense. Not who you are. Present tense. There's something to be said for remembering who we were. As painful as it may be. Because if we completely forget the mess that we got ourselves into through sin. And the wrath that we deserve for it. If we forget who we were and all its ugliness. We will fail to appreciate who we are now by God's grace. In 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. Paul gives a laundry list of sins. And he proclaims that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He reminds the Christians in Corinth that this is who they were. After he gives that list of sins, he says, and such were some of you. But then he adds, who are you now? Well, you're washed. You're sanctified you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When we remember who we were in the past, left to ourselves, we become more grateful for who we are now in Christ. And that takes us to verse 4. Paul continues. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, who are we now? Alive together with Christ. That's who by faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, those who were once dead in trespasses and sins, lifeless, unresponsive, flatlined, we can be revived. Or maybe a better word is resurrected. The judgment we deserved, the wrath we brought upon ourselves has been taken by someone else on our behalf. We're covered. We're ransomed. We're forgiven. We're alive. To use one of the words we just read in 1 Corinthians 6, we're justified. We're justified. That's one of Paul's favorite words. We see it in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew, Gentile, past, present, everyone in between. And are justified, there's that word, by his grace as a gift, a gift, not a paycheck, not something you earned, a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The word propitiation means a sacrifice that takes away wrath. In Ephesians 2, Paul said we were children of what? Children of wrath. And this is all to be received by faith. Paul continues in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been, past tense, justified, there's that word, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been united by faith to God the Son, we are reconciled to God the Father. Christ's perfect righteousness is credited to your account because your sin was placed upon his sinless shoulders. The only man capable of doing such a thing and living to tell about it. The Protestant reformers were fond of referring to Justification as the great exchange. Christ for me on the cross. His righteousness for my sin on my account. But justification is just the beginning of who we are. There was another word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 6. And that word is sanctified. Sanctified. These two things, our justification and our sanctification, are intimately connected, but they are distinct. One theologian refers to them as two legs on the same pair of pants. Our justification is a one-time event accomplished in the past by Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, our sanctification is an ongoing work accomplished in the present With the help of the Holy Spirit. Some have said that justification is the root. Sanctification is the fruit. Being justified, we are declared righteous by God. And being sanctified, God is actually making us righteous. We've been set apart for holiness, and now we're being made holy. We've been forgiven of our sins and trespasses, and now we're learning to leave them behind. Our words, our deeds, our lives are being brought into alignment with our status. Theologian John Calvin writes that believers in Jesus experience a double grace. He says this. First, being reconciled to God through Christ's blamelessness. We have in heaven, instead of a judge, a gracious father. That's justification. That's grace number one. And then secondly, that sanctified by Christ's spirit, we may cultivate. We may learn. We may develop. We may put into practice in our own lives, blamelessness and purity of life. That's grace number two. They go together. Calvin adds, Christ justifies no one whom he does not at the same time sanctify. We are fixer uppers. We are purchased by God's grace in order to be renovated for God's glory. We are justified in order to be sanctified. So putting it all together so far. Who were we? Dead, condemned. Who are we? Alive, justified, sanctified, saved by God's grace for God's glory, adopted as His children, and commissioned as His servants. So we've looked at the past, we've looked at the present. Naturally, that leads to the future. Who were we? Who are we? Who will we be? Ephesians 2, picking up in verse 6. Right after Paul said, by grace you have been saved, he says, and raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So now Paul turns our attention to the future. We are raised up and seated with God himself in the heavenly places in the coming ages in Christ Jesus. Now, in a sense, that's who we are now. But in another sense, it hasn't fully, totally, perfectly happened quite yet. Now, don't get me wrong. We are saved, to use Paul's word in verse 5. Our justification is accomplished once and for all by Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. And our sanctification has begun by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been set apart for righteousness and are growing in righteousness every day. But one day, in the coming ages, when we rest in God's presence, in the heavenly places, no separation, no barrier, no veil, no curtain. Then and only then will our glory be made complete. One day when we die, which we all will, by the way, one day when Christ returns, our true eternal glory will be seen in all its splendor when we see God and all his beauty. In those coming ages, there will be no more remnants of death, no more traces of our old sins, no more stubborn transgressions still clinging to our hearts, minds, and bodies. As Paul majestically says in 1 Corinthians 15, the perishable will be raised imperishable. The dishonorable will be raised in glory. Weakness will be raised in power. The natural raised to the spiritual. Images of dust will bear the image of the man of heaven. That is your future, brother and sister. That is your future, Christian. Let it shape how you live now. Finishing out the passage, verse 8, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Paul talks about a gift in Romans 3. He talks about it in Ephesians 2 as well. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8-10 are a great look at justification and sanctification. You are saved by grace, not by works, but you are saved for good works. It's almost like Paul is just throwing in for good measure. If you haven't gathered it already, you are saved by grace. God's unmerited favor toward sinners. We were dead. Not sick. Dead. We certainly weren't well. We were dead. Dead people don't raise themselves. Our redemption was decidedly one sided. If not for God's grace, we'd still be dead in our sins, still be following the devil, still be following our flesh, and still be following the world. So there's no room for boasting, no room for arrogance, no room for a sense of entitlement amongst God's people. Only awe, humility, and gratitude. Because now we are alive together with Christ. Now we are justified. Now we are being sanctified. And one day we will be glorified once and for all. Raised up once and for all. In God's presence once and for all. In the heavenly places once and for all. Experiencing God's immeasurable kindness forever. So, folks, this is who you are now. This is who you will one day be in the future. So why in the world would you go back to being who you were in the past? You were dead, but now you're alive. You were a child of wrath, but now you're a child of God. You were following the devil who led you into sin, but now you're following the Lord who saved you out of it. You were walking in the ways of the fallen world, but now you're a citizen of heaven. You were dominated by the sins of the flesh, but now you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. One theologian wrote, the believer who is justified in Christ is the freest creature in the world. The freest creature in the world. Why would you want to be anything else? Why would you want to be anyone else? For many years, a monk named Martin Luther didn't understand who God was. And as a result, he didn't understand who he was. Those are intimately connected. Luther lived under the weight of constantly wondering whether he'd done enough to secure God's favor through his prayers, his study, his confession, his poverty, his service, and his suffering. And trust me, he did a lot of all those things, a lot more than any of us. Luther writes that at that time in his life, he did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. You can understand why with all that pressure on his shoulders. But when Luther came to understand the gospel, who he was by faith in Jesus Christ, faith alone, Luther felt himself, these are his words, Reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. He continues, if you have a true faith that Christ is your savior, then at once you have a gracious God for faith leads you in and opens up God's heart and will that you should see pure grace and overflowing love. That it is to behold God in faith that you should look upon his fatherly, friendly heart. In which there is no anger or ungraciousness. He who sees God as angry does not see him rightly, but only looks on a curtain. As if a dark cloud had been drawn across his face. Luther could say those things because he was justified. He was sanctified, and he was destined to be glorified by faith in Jesus. So are you. So am I. So let's act like it. So who am I? Who are you? You can answer that question in all kinds of ways. I'm 32 years old. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a Reds fan. I'm slightly sunburned from power washing my driveway. You can answer that question in all kinds of ways. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you already know the most important answer. You are saved by God's grace, by God's Son, for God's glory. You don't have to be racked with guilt about the past. You don't have to constantly create and recreate yourself in the present. And you don't have to be nervous about your eternal future. You're a justified sinner. You're a sanctified servant. You're bound for glory. And it's all thanks to Jesus Christ. That is who you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. We can spend all of our time worrying about who we are, but really it all kind of starts with who you are. Because it's only when we know who you are, rightly, fully, accurately, that we can correctly understand who we are as people made in your image. Lord, we are sinners, we are fallen, we are corrupt. That you are none of those things. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that you've made a way for us to be the people you created us to be. That we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be trapped. We don't have to be condemned to that corruption forever. That you made a way for us to once again be the image bearers you made us to be. You've made a way of grace, you've made a way of forgiveness, you've made a way of reconciliation and restoration. Lord, thank you for that way. And thank you that it comes through Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus Christ is sufficient to the task that you laid in front of him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took it upon yourself. You set your face toward Jerusalem. Knowing what awaited you there, you gave your life as a ransom for many. You endured the cross, despised the shame, all on our behalf, and have been raised to glory. You've ascended. You're sitting at the Father's right hand as we speak, and one day you will return. And Lord, I ask that you prepare us for that day. One of the most basic ways we can prepare for that day, that we can prepare for the coming ages is knowing who we are in you. So, Lord, I pray that we would recognize our identity in you by faith as believers, that we would lean into that identity, that that identity wouldn't just be a a category marker, wouldn't just be a descriptive word, but it would be the motivation for how we live. And, Lord, I pray for those in the room who have not yet believed that more would come to know you, That more would come to believe in you. That more would come to be forgiven through your body and blood. Lord, again, thank you for this time we have together to worship you for who you are. And to be reminded of who we are by your grace. We ask this all in Jesus' name.